0: a terrible um, misuse of scripture to be in the prophets as we travel through the Bible and not to talk about God's promises to Israel. It is true, as I've said before, that there are many pre- uh, Christians, good people, who believe that God is all through with the nation of Israel. There is no more Uh, Hope for Israel as a nation. Individual Jews, they can come to Jesus and be incorporated in the church. But the church is understood by these Christians as being the new Israel, the true Israel, as they call it. Well, if you're a Jew, what does that sound like? That sounds like, oh, well, I guess we're the old Israel and we're not the true Israel. Yes, we're the false Israel. Well, is that what we gather when we read the Old Testament? That the nation of Israel is false, is not real, (laughs) is like a type of something, the reality that's to come? Certainly not. They are God's own special treasure. That's what he calls them. In Exodus chapter 19, when they come before him at Mount Sinai, this nation is his special treasure. In Zechariah, he calls them the apple of my eye. He's not talking to the church there. Okay, He's talking to the people of Israel. And the people of Israel in Zechariah's time were not exactly noted for their godliness. What then makes them so special... To God. Well, not their spirituality, not their innate goodness. What makes them special is that they are God's covenant people. God through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, repeated, uh, as we will see in the prophets, are a covenant people. Now They're not the only covenant people because the church, as we have just celebrated in the Lord's Supper, we've just celebrated being part of the new covenant, yes? So we're a covenant people too. But that doesn't mean that we replace Israel, okay? Israel in Hosea's time was in rebellion. And God's judgment, as we saw last week in Amos, God's judgment was going to come against them. But yet, God had reserved hope for this people. God is as good as his covenants. In fact, let me put it more boldly. God is only as good as his covenants. We say a person is only as good as their word, don't we? Because if they break their word, what's that a reflection of? It's a reflection of their character. It's a reflection of their truthfulness, their honesty. Well, God, if he's true, his word must be true all of the time. And if he makes an oath, a covenant oath to do something and fails to do that, then, you know, you can use all kinds of... Uh, Pious explanations to get round that, but the plain fact of the matter is, that if God could do that, God would no longer be God. Because He would no longer be true. Moreover, and this is something that is often forgotten by those people that spiritualize the prophets in the, in the Old Testament, If God doesn't mean what he says when he makes these covenant promises to the people of Israel, if these are just types to be kind of transformed and expanded and applied to the church, you know, because of their interpretation of the New Testament, then how do you know what to have faith in? I mean, if God's word can be morphed, so that it didn't mean doesn't really mean what it says in the Old Testament, how do we know that he's not going to morph it again in the future? Do you see that? Well, we don't. A person doesn't say, well, we've got the New Testament now and the, and the canon is closed. Well, right, the Old Testament saints thought that the canon was closed when they had the Old Testament. How do we know that God's not going to add another one that's going to change or reorient the the interpretation of the New Testament. You see, it it becomes a problem for faith. How do you believe God if he doesn't mean what he says? Answer? You don't know what to have faith in. Okay? God promises this. Okay, he means what he says. He's going to give a land... To Israel, he's going to set up his throne in Jerusalem and it's going to rule over the world from Jerusalem. The lion and the lamb are going to uh, to uh, kneel down together and eat grass together. Unless it doesn't mean that. And if it doesn't mean that, I don't know what it means, quite honestly. So how am I going to have faith in it? And if I, I do say, oh, it really means this, it really means that I stop arguing with myself, you know? One side of my nature, you know, the lion, the wolf, the tenacious side of my nature, that's going to make peace with the placid side of my nature, spiritualizing the word, yes? And I have faith in that. Then what am I having faith in? I'm actually having faith in my reinterpretation of the Bible, aren't I? Not in what God says, but in what I say. And that puts me in a real predicament because according to the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But faith in what? Faith, here's the answer, faith that God means what he says. And it's not up to us to try and figure it out how God's going to do it. He's God. He's got it covered. Do you see? He's got it covered. Well, I don't see how God's going to do that. You know, there's not been a king in Jerusalem for like nearly 3,000 years or 2,500 years. So therefore, there can't ever be another king in Jerusalem. So we have to spiritualize that. We now have the church and and therefore, you know, God must therefore be through with Israel. That's how we think. But our thoughts are supposed to come from what God says. Just think if we apply this logic, I'm coming off my, uh, this is not my outline. I mean, well, this is my outline, but I'm not on it, okay? I'll get back to it, but But I'm on a different line here. Um, it's important that we understand that God speaks to us and gives us his promises of his presence and of his... Uh, constant love and care for us. And He wants us to believe Him. (laughs) He wants us to trust Him. That's okay when things are going well. That's okay when you're feeling buoyant and, and happy and circumstances are working out and everything's wonderful. What about those times when you're grieving, what about those times when you're concerned, you're anxious? What about those times when everything is collapsing around you? Your health is taken a hit. Your friend has betrayed you. What about those times? What about those times when you don't feel God's presence? Is he present? Does he still love you? Is he still absolutely committed to you? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. You can trust what he says. Don't trust what you feel. Don't trust your interpretation of circumstances. Trust his word. Trust him. It's so important that we understand this truth. Trust him. Maybe he's closer to you in your pain than he was when everything was going great. And faith draws on that truth. Okay, what's that got to do with Hosea? No idea. I just just went there. All right, so... Um, you know about Hosea, at least you know about the first couple of chapters. Hosea is given this ridiculous assignment, okay? The prophets sometimes are. And Hosea's ridiculous assignment is to go and marry a prostitute. What? Go and marry a prostitute and have children with her. But I'm uh, I'm a man of God. Go and marry a prostitute. So he marries a prostitute. Okay? Why? Because Hosea and his wife Gomer are going to be a living illustration of God's relationship to the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. Israel plays the part of the prostitute. God, well, Hosea is playing the part of God. That's a better way of putting it. That's the relationship of God to Israel. Well, she's unfaithful. Goma's unfaithful. Just as Israel had been unfaithful to God. Israel had not kept the commandments. Israel had not served God. Israel had gone after the foreign gods. Israel had defected from God and committed all kinds of sins and trespasses against the Lord and forgotten their God and forgotten their covenant. Just like Gomer, just like this prostitute, Israel had gone after all of her lovers, these other nations, these other things, the world. And God said, I'm going to punish you for doing that. I'm going to put you away. I'm going to divorce you. Hmm? Yes, he did. I'm going to put you away. And then I'm going to take you back again. After I have dealt with you, after I have punished you, I'm going to take you back And I'm going to bless you. And that's something that God said that he was going to do. That was something that God said he was going to affect. Israel wasn't about to change. Gomer was not about to, to change who she was. But Hosea was told, put her away and then take her back again. As an illustration of What? The faithfulness of God, no matter how unfaithful Israel were. There's an illustration there for us. There's an application for us. When we go astray, when our thoughts stray from God, when we are focused on ourselves or focused on the world and what we want in life, when really it's all about us and our passions and our lusts and our feelings and, you know, our ambitions. God still will take us. Oh, he may have to punish us. He may have to chastise us. He may have to deal with us. It's a good idea to preempt him and actually come to your senses and deal with yourself. It's a lot less painful. But God will never, never walk away. He won't. That's an amazing characteristic of God. He's humble. He's faithful. He's better than us. He's more loving than us. He's more caring than we are. He's more attentive than we are. He is there and he's all in. When he makes a relationship with you in Jesus Christ, he's all in. You might not be. I mean, you might want to be. Yeah, You might one day feel, okay, I'm all in and I'm gung-ho for the Lord. And then the next day, where are you? Swanning around in the world, not thinking about the Lord, thinking about yourself, getting... Uh, and in sin, feeling sorry for yourself, you name it, you've got your own list. But God is always the same. In the book of uh, Malachi at the end of uh, the Old Testament, Malachi goes after Israel. You say you've been doing this, but really you've been doing that. There's a whole litany of that. What God thinks Israel is and what Israel thinks Israel is are two very different things in the book of Malachi. And yet there is a great promise in chapter 3 of that book where God says that he, he is the Lord and he does not change. therefore, you, sons of Jacob, are not consumed. You're chastised, yes. But you won't disappear. You won't be forsaken. Why? Because God does not change. Your God, your Saviour, does not change. You do. I do. I mean, we're up and down, aren't we? We're ridiculous, you know? I mean, if you could just... If I could see inside your Christian life, you know, like, let me just see how this person did in this last week, you know, and it would be interesting TV. Oh, my goodness, really? They thought that. They did that. What on earth? I mean, how ungodly. Okay? Okay. Of course, I wouldn't want you to look at my life for the last week either, okay? But I'd be interested in looking at yours. But God, what does he see? He sees Jesus. Yes, he sees that you, you know, you're, you're up and down and I'm up and down and so on. But he's not, he's not angry with us He's not uh, about to pack it in because we're just not faithful. He doesn't change. His love doesn't change. The intensity of his commitment to you does not change. And so it is illustrated here for us in the book of Hosea. Um, In chapter 2, the first eight verses... There's this uh, doleful run through of how unfaithful Goma was and how unfaithful Israel is. Verses 9 to 13 is the judgment that comes upon Israel because of their sins. And Israel was taken into captivity, the northern tribes taken into captivity, and then uh, 150 years later or so, the southern tribes taken into captivity also. That's the end of the story, isn't it? For Israel, that's it. That's what some people tell us. That's what some scholars tell us. No. That's just God putting away his unfaithful wife. But there's, that's not the end of the story. Hosea is told to take her back. Illustrating the fact that God will take Israel back. Chapter 5 and verse 15 of uh, Hosea, it says this, I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face in their affliction. They will earnestly seek me. But God is going to be there to be found. He's going to want to be found. So this brings us to point three, which is God's covenant mercy on Israel. And that's illustrated for us in verses 14 through 23. And I want to quickly run through these. Uh, talk about, you know, uh, doing an emergency stop, as it were, screeching the brakes at verse 13. It's all doom and gloom, okay? From verse 1 to verse 13, it's not good reading. Then the brakes are on, okay? And from verse 14 to 23, you'd think it was a different author. But this passage records... A God who is going to bless and forgive and receive Israel. Verse 14, therefore, behold, I will allure her. This is what God's going to do. We'll bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. What's in this? Is God telling us thousands of years before He died? is actually going to do this, what he's going to do. Which means this is in God's heart at that time. Do you see? God wants to bring comfort. God wants to bring healing. He wants to forgive. I will give her, this is talking about Israel, her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. Well, the Valley of Achor is not uh, famous in um, Scripture as being a door of hope. It's uh, where Achan committed uh, idolatry and took from the gold, and he and his uh, family were punished in the book of Joshua because of that, because people died through it. But the Valley of Achor will be a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And in that, it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me what? What does it say? My husband. He's had to put her away for unfaithfulness. But God's uh, commitment to Israel is like a commitment of a husband to a wife no longer call me my master but I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals the false gods and they shall be remembered by their name no more in that day I will make a covenant for them God likes covenants I'm telling you And look at this covenant. Look at what it's going to be. With the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, with the creeping things of the ground, bow and sword of battle, I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. This is a transformation of the natural world and a transformation of the hearts of men. No violence, no bloodshed, peace, safety. That's not the world we live in, folks. You can spiritualize this language all you want, okay? But that's not reality, okay? Those people that claim to live in this constant state of peace in the world, they're daydreaming, okay? They've They're lying to themselves. If they look at the world and they're concerned about the world and concerned about their children and concerned about their loved ones and their futures, whatever, if they're not living in a daydream, then they recognize that what Hosea, what Hosea is writing about here is not something they know about but it will be it will be israel has known nothing but trouble even since the the uh, nation came about again in 1948 nothing but trouble and strife and there's still an unbelief there's still christ rejecting But they will one day be brought back to their husband, to God. And God will bring this peace to that people, to that nation. Look at verse 19. I will betroth you to me forever. Who is he writing to? He's writing to Israel. How can you say that there isn't a future for the people of Israel? For the nation of Israel. What does it say here? Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and loving kindness and mercy. Just in case you didn't get it from the first part of verse 19, he repeats it in the second part of verse 19. Yes, forever, God is going to bless Israel. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Not just as a far distant God. Oh, yeah, yeah, I recognize that Yahweh is uh, is the God of the Old Testament, and, uh, yeah, our our ancestors met him on uh, Mount Sinai, and, yeah, Abraham and all of that stuff. Yeah, you know, and we remember that as part of our cultural heritage. Not like that. They will know him personally. The barriers between themselves and a holy God will be broken down. It shall come to pass in that day, I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer with grain and new white wine and with oil. God's going to bless the productivity of the land. Just as we saw last week with Amos, remember when the, uh, the reaper is going to overtake the sower? You remember that? That was, that was seven days ago, I know. But uh, we, we talked about that last week. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. In the context here, this is talking about Israel who had been put away and then taken back. Paul, in chapter 4 of Romans, can apply this, uh, it seems, to not only to the people of Israel, but to Gentiles too. Because it applies uh, to them. They weren't, you know, as Gentiles, we were not the people of God. But God's going to bring us in. It doesn't mean that the Gentiles become Jews or become part of Israel. That's not what He's saying. But it does mean that this this uh, uh, view of God in bringing together His people is going to be accomplished by God. What's the uh, What's the message? what's the application well for israel the application is simple god is not through with israel and if you have uh, an understanding of the bible that and of the future that doesn't include the nation of israel i am sorry i don't want to uh to offend you i don't want to upset you but you're wrong How do I know that you're wrong? We've just read it. And we're going to read it again and again as we go through the prophets. God is a covenant God, and He means what He says when He swears an oath. If I swear an oath to you, you' be know, told not to swear oaths, because they're serious things, okay? But if I swear an oath to do something say for Frank, and then I do something completely different, have I kept my oath? Of course not. Well, there's no difference in that transaction, whether it's me or whether it's God. If God fails to do the words of a covenant that he claims to, to take an oath to do, he's not a covenant-keeping God. And so we can't have a belief that God will not be faithful to the nation of Israel. He will. And then the second application is this. The second application is God's going to be faithful to you. God is going to save you, okay? If you're in Jesus Christ, he is going to save you. He is going to, you will see heaven, okay? And you will see the kingdom of God on earth. You will see Jesus reigning. Jerusalem, and you will, astounding as this truth is, you will be glorified and utterly transformed, and you will be given responsibilities as a holy one of God over God's creation. Why? Yeah, that's the only reason, quite honestly, because God said so, and that's it, because He's that kind of a God. You know, you and I, we know what we are. We know we don't deserve this. Okay? We know there's nothing we can do to impress God. Okay? This is all gratis. This is because of who God is. And the point of this message and the point of of this series, really, is that when God makes a covenant and you're part of that covenant, you are blessed. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, we would understand that these promises to Israel are to be taken at face value. These promises of the transformation of peace, coming to the animal kingdom of peace and productivity, coming to the the ground and its produce and then to the hearts of men uh, this changed world where we know you, where we see you, where we interact with you and where you are pleased. To call us into your family, Lord, and interact with us that way. That is going to happen, not because of us, but because of your promises and your word. I believe it because you said it. Help us to draw hope from this. Help us, Lord, not only to believe that you'll restore the nation of Israel, But help us also in our daily lives, in our application of your covenant promises to ourselves to tell ourselves the truth. When the world, the flesh and the devil are telling us otherwise, that you are faithful and you will bless us. And there is a huge and an amazing hope that's set before us that no one can remove and that we're moving closer and closer Toward. Our response, Lord, is to thank you and to acknowledge your goodness and your grace. And it's all because of what Jesus has done for us that we have access into these blessings. To help us to carry this with us this week, Whatever this week has for us, Lord, help us to remember this truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.